Go ahead and grab a Bible if you've got one. If you don't have one with you, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. We'd love for you to see and have a copy of uh, God's Word in your lap uh, this morning. Um, uh, as you're turning to Acts, uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. You can go to Acts chapter 20. And uh, as you're turning there, just um, I kind of want to add, add my um, sort of plug in and uh, word about the uh, block party as well. I know Pastor um, Jeff announced it, and we've been announcing it for a while. And um, hopefully you have the date saved. This is one of those things that we, you know, we've kind of put out there. And, and, um, and this is kind of like the thing that our, our church really wants to rally behind, uh, these, these sorts of things. And uh, the way that we've set it up is it's going to take about 60, 70 you know, people um, all kind of pitching in and serving in from setup to you know, food and carnival games and bounce out, like all the face painting and different things like that. But man, we, um, we have missed these. Uh, as Jeff said, it, it's been a couple years since we have done one. And um, the last one we had, we had close to, it was like three, 400 people that came out you know, from the community uh, to be a part of it. And um, so it does, it does take our whole church, but we want you to enjoy it as well. So this is kind of like a two for one. This isn't just us kind of serving. This is us enjoying each other too. So the way that we want to do it, if you can sign up to serve, we're going to have rotation and so you get to like enjoy the, the food and the snow cones and you can get your, uh, I think we got cotton candy or something like that. So um, you can enjoy all of that as well. Bring your kids. They can be a part of it. They're going to be enjoying the games and all of that. And so we want to both enjoy each other as a church and then meet and, and love and just kind of have time um, with our neighborhood. And so um, we would love for all of you uh, to be there participating part of it kind of in some capacity. I would say this, even if like maybe you're like, man, I, I would go for an hour, but I don't know if we can serve or, or I've got something that's kind of preventing me from being able to serve. Can I show up? You don't have to like hide out in your house. You can still come and hang out with us, okay? So we just want to, um, we'd love for all of you uh, to be a part of it, but it is coming up soon. So if, um, if you have been waiting to sign up, like now's the time. Um, so this would be a, a really, really great time. We'll send out some reminders this week and, and give you the link and all that, but would love to have all of us um, there and a part of that and, and, and doing that uh, together. Well, this morning, as we continue in Acts, I kind of want to set us up this way. Um, uh, you've probably heard the, the term or concept. You've probably even used it, you know, in part of your life, maybe, maybe intentionally or, or unintentionally. But um, uh, the, the, the term that's, that's used uh, is reverse engineering. When you kind of start with the end product of what you want to arrive at or have, right? And then you kind of break it down and take it apart and kind of figure out. So if you're talking about a device or a thing or something, right? You, you look at the way it's put together and the, the materials that were used and the different ways and you kind of like reverse engineer it, like take it, strip it all back and how could I make something like this or perhaps even make it better, right? Um, if you want to kind of apply the same concept to um, maybe something at work or, or something in your life, you're like, oh, well, I want to get there. So let's kind of the process, reverse that back. Like how do I get uh, to that spot? What I'd love for us to do this morning in our passage is we're coming to a place in Paul's ministry where it's nearing the uh, end of his ministry um, uh, time. Uh, certainly, it's nearing the end of his ministry, uh, missionary journeys that he's been on. And, um, and we're coming to a, spoken, uh, a section of spoken passage, spoken words from Paul um, that's kind of unique. Uh, so far, we've encountered... Um, many words that, that Paul has spoken. Uh, we've seen three sermons. We've seen five public defenses. But all of those, all eight situations, was always spoken and kind of directed to those who were not followers of Christ. 
uh, it was just the city, uh, those that were kind of there and, and, and listening. It was uh, perhaps um, some of the council members or religious people or, or whatever, but, but it was always addressed to those who were not followers of Christ. Today, the, um, we'll call it like kind of a speech or sort of the words that Paul's going to use. This is addressed to Christians. Um, specifically, this is addressed to elders of, within the church of Ephesus. And he's sharing some things that, that you can understand. I think understanding the context, it's, it's kind of at the end of his ministry time. And so we want to re- reverse engineer a little bit what he says. But to set a little bit of context before we actually read the passage, um, Paul has been ministering in Ephesus now for a few years. I'm super thankful for Pastor Jeff preaching last week. Um, I was uh, away and helping out, working, um, preaching at another, another church. And so I um, uh, asked him to, uh, to, to, to preach in that passage. And I got to listen back to it this week and, and was so um, blessed by that and encouraged by that. And I thought, um, you know, just love that we have others here in the church that can uphold and, and preach the, the, uh, the word well. But, but he, um, he kind of really looked at his, Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And he was there for the, uh, over two years in ministry. But the, the passage we looked at last week was this riot sort of happens, occurs in the city of Ephesus. And there's this major um, uproar in the city. And then in, in chapter 20, where we're picking up this morning, it says, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. So what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna leave uh, from Ephesus, which is in Asia, and he's gonna go to Greece and to Macedonia again and sort of revisit a lot of the areas that he's already visited, maybe go to a couple new places, encourage and strengthen the churches and encourage the saints in these cities. And um, he comes to, after kind of doing this, he comes to this place, Troas. And this isn't necessarily you know, super important for the passage we're looking at this morning, but you, you can't preach through Acts and just skip over this passage. We have to look at this because this there's some good stuff here. Look at verse seven of chapter 20. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. All right, can we pause there for a second? Paul started preaching in the middle of the day when they're breaking bread, and he's still preaching when it was midnight. Now, every once in a while, I hear kind of, you know, oh, you went a couple of minutes long, or that was like that. That's, I've never preached till midnight, okay? So there's always a silver lining. But get this, look at what happens. Verse uh, eight, uh, Luke kind of sets the mood for us. There was many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, okay? So you kind of get it. It's midnight. Paul's been preaching all day and it's kind of like, you know, kind of dreamy in there, a little like you got the lamplight kind of flickering and going. In verse nine, a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. All right, so there's an example for your sleep if, uh, if you've ever fallen asleep. Um, here's, here's an example, but look at this. Overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Eutychus died in the middle of Paul's sermon. But Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. He raised back to life. All right, so I, again, I've preached for a long time before, never preached till midnight, and I've never had somebody die in the middle of my sermon. But get this, Paul raises him back to life, 
He comes back to life. God uses him in that situation. Verse 11, and when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, they have a little meal, he conversed with them a little while longer until daybreak and so departed. So he goes back and he preaches some more before leaving. So I just love it. I think it's, it's great. And uh, there you go. So if it's ever, if I ever kind of, you know, run long, it's just, we got the, it's biblical. All right. Uh, verse 12, uh, they took, uh, and there they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted, uh, but going ahead of the ship, we set sail. And so they kind of go to a few more places and then they end up in verse 17. Now from Lydus, he sent to Ephesus. Now see, um, they, he, Paul has it set in his heart. Like God has called him back to Jerusalem. Verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. I think what we have to understand, I mean, this has taken us the better part of, I think it's like eight months or so that we've been going, walking through the book of Acts together as a church, right? I think sometimes we lose context for just how long. This is, now the book of Acts is going on um, uh, 20, 25 years or so that has transpired since um, the, the book of Acts began. So Paul has been on his missionary journeys. His, his first journey started nearly 20 years before this. So since that time, Paul left Jerusalem, his home that he had, he had uh, lived in and, and departed from. He was sent out, remember, from the church in Antioch. And then for two decades, for nearly 20 years, Paul has been going to all of these churches. And go, he went back to Antioch, but never Jerusalem. And he kind of going out and kind of strengthening. So now he feels like the Spirit, he sees the Spirit calling him back, leading him back to Jerusalem. And he wants to get there for Pentecost. And he's like, I know if I stop in Ephesus, I love those guys. I'm going to be there a while. I can't make a quick stop in Ephesus. And so um, I'm just going to kind of keep scooting on by. Maybe you've done that. You know, you have some relatives or friends or something, and you're like, man, I can't, we can't let them know. Don't post, don't even post anything on Facebook. We can't let them know we're in town because if they find out, we're going to like, that's going to set us back another few hours, right? So that's kind of what Paul's doing. He's like, we got to keep going. But, but, Verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. He called the elders of the church to come to him. It's about two days journey away. And so they were able to come and he, he just wanted to see them one last time. And here's the context. These are men that he's ministered with, that he knows well. They are elders there in the church. After a couple years of ministry, they are close. And look at, uh, scan over to verse 36. After Paul says all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. So you understand just the heartfelt, emotional goodbye that this would have been. And Paul, in, in sharing these words with him, he knows it's gonna be the last time ever that he's gonna have a chance to see them. And so he's super intentional in the words that he's sharing and the things that he's saying to them. And what he's doing is he's speaking back to, he's kind of looking back on his ministry and commending them in that process to do the exact same thing. And so what we want to do to this morning with the time that we have before us is we want to reverse engineer a little bit of what Paul says here that we would make some decisions and make some choices today, like starting this week in our life now, so that we would be able to express and say and declare these same things someday, that these things would be said of us. And so I've titled uh, the sermon, When All is Said and Done. So in our, in our context, like when all is said and done in our life, right? You've heard that phrase before. When all is said and all is done, all the things that you wanna say have been said, all the things that you've done, like wanted to do are done. What is it that you look back upon? What is said about the life that we've lived? This is the life that Paul lived. 
and the example that we have in him. We've said it many times before, Paul was just a guy. There was nothing super special about him. He wasn't anything different than you or I. God just worked powerfully through him. He allowed God to work powerfully through him. And so we wanna see the way that, that he did that. And the last thing I'll say before we um, get into it is uh, I think the way that I wanna frame it this morning is these five statements that could be said about Paul at the end of his life. And these same statements would be said of us. And every time as I prepare to preach, I, let, I want the word to minister to me. I wanna learn and, and, and glean from it as I'm getting ready throughout the week. And so I'm always looking at commentaries and other um, teachers and, and authors and pastors. And, and, um, and I just have to tell you, I, I came across um, some, uh, an outline that J.D. Greer, Pastor J.D. Greer had put together on this passage. And I was like, man, that's so good. I, I just, so I wanna share that. I'm gonna kind of use that outline. I've kind of added my own flavor to it, but, but I wanna, I'm gonna use that outline to sort of shape this this morning because I think it really helps frame us up. So these are the five statements that I think Paul is making here and that we can uh, make and hopefully would be made of us uh, someday in that place. Before we go any further, let's just ask that God would teach us now as we get ready to look at his word together. God, we thank you for the truth that you've laid out so perfectly for us here. God, this, uh, this call that you've placed on us and on our lives and um, God, the power that you've granted us through your son, um, to live in this way. And so I just pray for your leading and your teaching now, God, that you would um, shape us, that you would continue to go before us and to, um, God, to just uh, show us what we need to hear this morning. God, the, the, the choices, the decisions, the things that we need to make today, that they would affect the life to come. And God, we just ask for your power and your working now. We wanna hear from you. So God, speak to us, we ask through your word. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's look at um, the passage, what Paul says to these men together. Let's begin in verse uh, 18. It says, when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here is the first statement that Paul was able to make and was saying to um, these men as he was sharing with them, it's this, I was faithful to everything God called me to. I was faithful to everything that God called me to. If you're writing notes, I would encourage you to write that down. This is what he is saying here. Verse 24, he says, but I do not account my life of any value nor of precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul is crystal clear on what his life has become. He views his life not as his own, but as this opportunity, this, this, this call that's been placed on him by Jesus for a specific task, a specific place in ministry. And what he's speaking about here, this is a, a mark of faithfulness, right? He's saying, I'm finishing the course and the ministry that I received. Like God gave me this call. 
And I want to be able to testify to the gospel and the grace of God how I was faithful to the end that I would finish this together. He's speaking about faithfulness in ministry. Um, I don't know if you have some books that you've read in your life that have really shaped certain particular places or parts of, of your thinking or kind of of your life. Um, uh, there, uh, there's several that I've read over the years that, that like I can point to about a dozen that have maybe been um, kind of pivotal books, pivotal things that God used in, in my life. Um, oftentimes, you know, um, they're, they're kind of expounding and sort of illustrating scriptural truth, but, but I can remember back to a few books. I've read a lot more, but there's specific ones that really kind of shaped. One that stands out in my thinking is uh, this book by Kent Hughes called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And that was introduced to me, given to me when I was um, really early, just beginning as a pastor. My first church that I was at, first church that I was kind of a part of, and, and, and uh, I, I read this book, and it shaped the way that I thought about ministry. It's kind of written specifically to pastors and ministry leaders and, and, and trying to redefine, like, what is success in ministry? Because I think there's a lot of things, like when we talk about success in ministry, um, you know, is it numbers? Is it fruit? Is it, is it um, you know, the people that hear, the people that respond? Like, what is it that, that results in, in ministry? And let's just be clear here. When we talk about ministry, um, I have the privilege, and I really do count it a privilege, that I get to work and be a part of this church as full-time. Like, this is my job. This is my vocation. I'm, I'm, I'm paid by the church to, to be able to be a full-time minister. But here's the thing. Whether you work for a church or ministry or not, we are all, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are all in full-time ministry, all right? You just may, not, may or may not get paid uh, for that. <laughs> so we need to like, change and, and transform our view of like, how we see our jobs, how we see our neighborhoods, how we even see our hobbies and the things that we do for fun or leisure as opportunities for ministry. We are all in full-time ministry. But as we talk about ministry, what is success in ministry? Like, how do we know if we've been successful? Like, as you look back, and maybe you've done that. Maybe you've been involved in a specific ministry. Maybe you served here on a Sunday morning and you've gotten in your car and you're like, was that a successful morning of, of serving? Or, or maybe you've you know, been involved in a week of ministry. We have our kids camp coming up at the end, of, uh, the end of June. We'd love for a bunch of you to be a part of that as well. You know, when that week is all over and all is said and done, like, how do you know if it was a successful week of ministry? What I believe Paul is saying here is that success in ministry is faithfulness. It's faithfulness. That's what that book kind of illustrated for me and has been so important in that. Because here's the thing is that we can't control so many times the outcome of someone's response. Like as you share the gospel, you cannot respond how they're going to receive and how they're going to respond to that. But you can be faithful to share that with them. You can be faithful to show up and to serve and you don't know the response of what's gonna happen, but we've been called to be faithful in this. And what Paul is saying here is not just faithful in, in kind of everything. He's saying faithful in the things that God has trusted him to. He says, my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. You see, I think we, make, we tend to make one of two opposite mistakes in our own ministry. And I'm guessing you might be prone to one of these two mistakes. The first mistake that some people make when it comes to ministry is to do nothing. And they're really not that involved in ministry. They love Jesus. They might even love the church, but they're not really involved in any sort of kind of meaningful ministry with their life. Some people 
do nothing. Maybe that tends to be you. It's, you gotta kind of like, you know, it's a little hard start sometimes, a little, a little harder to kind of get going. Others of us maybe make the opposite mistake and it's just as wrong, but we do everything. Some of us are in that place where it's like, well, I need to do that and I need to be in that place and I need to take on that, 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 that ministry. Some of you are like spiritual bag ladies where you just kind of take on everybody else's baggage and emotional bag, like, and you're just kind of carrying all of it around and you think it's all on you to kind of carry and do all of that. And what I think both of us need to hear and see what Paul is saying here, we are called to ministry, but we're called to the ministry that God has entrusted us to. And so some of you, maybe if you're in the kind of do nothing camp, some of you need to be challenged by this. What is your unique gifting and calling for ministry right now? Like what, is it, what are the things that you need to really own and be invested in and be involved in? See, we are... Uh, part of the body of Christ. The, the, the physical body is a picture that's used for the church, right? It talks about arms and legs and nose and feet and toes. And like, what is your role? Like, what is your, your point? Some of us are, um, what's the thing that we don't know? Like, does anything, um, the uh, appendix or whatever, we're like, it just kind of like causes trouble once in a while. Um, but it's like, doesn't seem to be super useful, right? If it's gone, it's like, doesn't, no, no big deal. Like some of us are kind of like appendixes, like in the body, right? We're just kind of like hanging out and eventually cause trouble or something. But like, but the, like, you know, we want to be more than that. We want to be like, find a role and a part and like, what is the thing? And it's not about finding it. It's like, it's asking, what is the unique gifting and calling that God has placed on your life? And some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Or I don't have a ministry, I would just say that we would love to help you figure that out. Like talk to one of your small group, talk to your small group leader, talk to one of the ministry leaders here at the church, talk to one of the elders, talk to one of the pastors. We would love to help you figure out what is the gifting that God has given you and what is a role that you could jump in and, and serve in a meaningful way. And some of us maybe are caught in like the middle. We're like, well, I don't know. I just gotta find that perfect thing. I would say in the meantime, do something. Like we are all in it together, and so we need to be involved. And so can we say I was faithful to everything that God called me to? But on the other side, some of you maybe need to release a little bit of your ministry. You're trying to take on too much or too many people or too many things, and you're spread too thin. And what it's causing is an inability to do the things that God really has in front of you, the things that God's really wired you for. See, if we try and do everything, we're not gonna be able to do anything super well, and so I would ask you this, what is your course? What is your ministry that God has given to you in this season, in this time of your life? And maybe there's a couple things that you need to let go so that you can do those few things well and do them in the way that God has called you to do. We need to be faithful in all the things that God has called us to. Paul was able to do that. He says, I, may I finish the course, my ministry that I've received? I was faithful to do that which Jesus called me to. Number two, he says this, I told you the truth, I told the truth without wavering. I told the truth without wavering. Let's see it in scripture, verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you, none among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. You see that word there, I did not shrink from declaring. That's the second place that Paul has used that in this very passage. We saw it once before. If you scan your eyes back to verse 20 and 21, you'll see it again. It says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public, 
from house to house, both in public and private, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's like, listen, at the end of it, I told the truth. I told the truth without wavering. And that is not always easy to do. I think there are many situations, many circumstances when we are tempted and often sometimes do shrink back, as Paul is saying here. We saw this a few weeks ago. Paul himself was asking for uh, boldness, right? The, the Spirit himself came and encouraged Paul because he was discouraged and he was tempted not to proclaim and not to speak boldly. Let me just ask you this. What are the situations or maybe who are the relationships? What are the relationships in which you are tempted not to speak plainly, speak boldly, speak with confidence about the things of God? I mean, some of these things are hard, right? He says, I testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God. Do we talk about repentance? Do we talk about the need for repentance with people, with those around us, with those that we have influence in, those that we care about? and of faith in our Lord Jesus? Do we see that there's an answer, a savior for us in our time of need, in our place of need? See, Paul did not shrink back from proclaiming the kingdom. He was willing to share that with boldness. We are called to tell the truth without wavering. And then that phrase that he uses there, he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all because I did not shrink back in declaring it. What I think Paul's referencing there is a passage that you can find in Ezekiel chapter 33. And in Ezekiel chapter 33, it speaks about a watchman and that a watchman set upon a tower has the job of looking out, right, onto the horizon, onto the surrounding territory and area and to look for danger, look for uh, intruding armies or people that might, danger that might be coming against. And if the watchman fails to do his job, and sees an army, but does not announce it to the people, does not declare it for everyone to hear, then Ezekiel says that, that to that watchman, the blood of those who die are upon his hands. He is guilty of their blood. But, however, if a watchman, upon seeing the armies coming and seeing the impending danger, if he announces it, and tells the people, and then they choose to do nothing about it and still end up in a place, like they still get attacked, they still perish, well, then that watchman is not guilty. He is innocent of their blood. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He's like, listen, like a watchman on a tower, I have sought at every opportunity, at every place to use the platform that God has given me. And so therefore, before all, I am innocent because I have sought to warn everyone that I could. Now, he wasn't able, again, faithfulness in ministry. He wasn't able to convince everyone. He wasn't able to change people's mind. He couldn't make them believe, but he was faithful to declare it. He told the truth without wavering. I think we need this both in our lives. I think we need this in our churches. In your life, again, where are you tempted to maybe shrink back from the truth? Where is it that you sort of hedge a little bit, kind of candy coat some things, try and gloss make a little bit glossy the things that you believe to others so that they wouldn't think that you're one of those guys or that, you know, that kind of weird Christian or something like that? Like, would we with boldness be able to declare the truths that God has laid out before us? And can we talk about boldness for a second? We've said this before, but it bears repeating. Boldness is not brashness. Boldness does not have to be obnoxious or antagonistic. Boldness doesn't have to be cold-hearted 
or forceful. Boldness has a confidence about it, but it can still have a loving, kind grace to it. Look at the way that Jesus shared. He was bold, but he was never unnecessarily antagonistic toward people. He wasn't trying to just stir up controversy for controversy's sake. He wasn't afraid of a controversy, right? Neither was Paul. Like he was willing, but it wasn't unnecessarily brash. I think sometimes Christians think they're doing a poor job unless they like get in so many fights a week or something. I don't know. I can't figure it out because sometimes I feel like Christians think that they need to be like fighting about this stuff. You can be bold without having to fight all the time. And so we want to be bold in this way. But I think we also need to be bold as a church together. Uh, there is a growing tendency, and you probably are aware of this, of churches to uh, kind of skip over passages, to avoid some of the difficult concepts or things. I know this because we've had people come to our church over the years for specifically saying like, hey, I was at a church before and all of a sudden they quit saying the word blood and wanted to say the word love. Like blood was too offensive. Like repentance is a concept that we can't, we can't talk about. We can't like look at or do like to say that people are sinful is, is, is unloving or kind. I mean, this is the place that many churches are kind of going. And can we just like join and link arms in this together? We are never going to waver on that together as a church. That is one of our pillars. The way that we say it is this, is we proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. Now that's not my job. That's our job. We are in this together. We are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. If he said it, then we are for it. And he means everything that he says and we wanna to look to his word and say it in the way that he says it. Like we don't wanna take it further, but we certainly don't wanna take it less. I mean, we wanna get at just what he is saying here. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, listen, I didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. That's one of the reasons that we like to walk through books of the Bible. It's not the only way we preach through the scripture, but we like to pick larger passages and chunks of scripture and just kind of walk our way through so that we see it all and we hear all of it. And, and, and it's, this has been good to kind of go through all of these passages together in Acts. Let me, uh, let's continue on in verse uh, 28. He gives a warning, kind of an instruction to the elders here. He says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So here what we have is an instruction that, that Paul gives to the, the elders to pay attention and to like with vigilance, look out for, vigilance to look out for um, those who would seek to take away. And what he's saying in doing this, he's like, that's not the ministry that I had, right? He says, this, this, is, this is the third statement that he makes. I pointed people to Jesus and not to myself. I pointed people to Jesus and not to myself. He's like, some are gonna come in and that's what they're gonna try and do. You see it there in verse 30? He says, among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So these guys are gonna raise up and they're gonna be like, hey, come follow me. Be about me and my program and my thing and my ministry. And what Paul was able to say is I pointed to people to Jesus and not to myself. Man, what a thing. Would that be said of us someday when we are gone, when people are standing around at our funeral 
at our service, would they say, man, that, that, that guy, he pointed people to Jesus. It was never about him. It was about Jesus or that girl. It was always about Jesus for her. You couldn't get more than two minutes into a conversation and she started talking about Jesus, right? Like it's always pointing to Jesus, but he's saying that's not gonna happen just, just on its own. Rather, he says, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to what? Well, to yourselves and to all the flock. These are instructions for the elders. They're called to care for and minister overseers, right? He says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. He's like, listen, if you're gonna care for the church, you gotta start by caring for yourself. We all need to do that. We need to be on guard. We need to watch out for three things, I think. We need to watch out for trouble in our own hearts. It's been said that the seed of every sin is present in the heart of every man. What that is, is that we have the propensity towards sin. We have the ability to choose any sin, but for the grace of God, we need to watch out and be, pay attention to our own hearts that we'd be careful that we do not find ourselves being led astray in a place of difficulty, in a place of delusion about God and who he is and what he said. He says, pay attention, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. He says, watch out for trouble in your own heart. He says, watch out for trouble outside the church. He's like, there's gonna be wolves. After I go, fierce wolves are gonna try and come in and they're not gonna spare the flock. They're gonna try and rip this thing apart. There are enemies, there are people against the things of God and they're going to rise up. And so we need to be on guard against that. Listen, there is, there are those outside the church who would love nothing more than to see this place tore down and this place ripped up, like literally and um, spiritually. Right, so we need to watch out for trouble outside the church. He says, watch out for trouble inside the church. He's like, even from among yourselves, some men, some women may arise and become twisted, speaking twisted things and trying to draw the people away after themselves. He's like, I didn't do that. I pointed people to Jesus, not to myself. I wasn't about my own ministry. I was about Jesus's ministry. We need to do this. Verse 31, therefore be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here's the fourth statement he was able to make is I finished strong. I finished strong. Notice he said, remembering for three years he didn't cease day or night in his ministry with them. He's like, I was there. He's like, it was hard. There was tears day and night. I was painful. It was difficult at times, but I stayed the course and I finished. See, we have to remember that finishing well is just as important as starting well. Like starting a race is really good. It's super important. Um, but if you're on a 10 mile race and say you run the first five, just incredibly you're flying, your pace is, is, is way above when you ever thought and you're kind of just cranking and going and there's like no stopping you. But then you get to mile five and you're like, I'm just gonna stop right here. I assure you this, no one is looking at that race and be like, man, that was an incredible five miles. Like what an amazing five miles. Why? Because it's a 10 mile race. You gotta finish it for those first five miles to, to matter and to, and to be of any worth or value. If it's a five-mile race, great, then run five miles. But it was a 10-mile race, and so you didn't finish well. Here's the thing, is that I think, I think sometimes we would love to think that we could just kind of hit the pause button, right, or that we could stop or kind of take a break or whatever, but we have, there is, 
The days have been set before us. God has all of them numbered for every one of us. Make no mistake about it. He knows exactly how many days you're going to live. We don't. He does. And he has value and worth for every single one of them. And he's called us to have the same. Would we finish our days well? I think back to my time at uh, Moody Bible Institute where I did my undergrad um, in uh, Bible training. And, and man, I was there with some fantastic, what I thought were gonna be, and some of them are today, ministry uh, leaders within the church and, and within the um, uh, different ministries. Um, but thanks to social media and, and, and uh, Facebook and all that, I can follow and see where people have ended up and what, what has happened. And it is sad, the number of men and women that I was serving alongside, learning alongside with, that have just chosen to walk away from that which they once held so dear. They've walked away from the faith in Jesus Christ, denying him, denying the church, denying anything that they once held on to. And I've seen this with people that I never thought, I never thought that they would be in that place. What happens? How does someone get to that place? Well, there's, I think, several things that, that, that point to that. This is an exhaustive list, but the things that I've seen in ministry over, over my years is I think one of the reasons that people don't finish strong is because of fatigue. They just get tired and they don't want to do it anymore. And they want to stop. They want to take a break. They want to change pace. And so they're just tired. One of the other reasons that I think people don't finish well is because of distractions. There's more attractive things that come along, right? Some of you guys love fishing. If you've ever fished, like you know, you use a lure, right? You're trying to attract attention and to pull in. Uh, hey, don't look at that food source. Look at my food source. Sure, it's neon colored and has all these hooks and things, but like the fish go for it, right? They, get, they go for it. And what happens? They end up on your dinner table at night. And, 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 and so the idea is that there is distractions. There are things that come along and they, they suck us in and, and lure us in. And so there's distractions that take people off course. It's one of the reasons I've seen people walk away from the Lord. I've seen people not finish well because of pain. I've watched families, I've watched couples, I've watched individuals suffer real loss. Maybe it's a death, maybe it's a loss of job or opportunity or relationship. And the pain that's experienced is one that is insurmountable and somehow God is to blame and therefore they just walk away. I've seen people not finish well because of disappointment. Disappointment in the church. Disappointment in other believers. Disappointment in God himself or the things that you know, are happening in a way that I didn't think this was supposed to happen this way. And so there's disappointment. I've seen also people not finish well because of uncertainty. The doubts start to crawl out, crowd out the trust and the faith. And it gets to the place where it's like, well, I have more doubts than I can have faith. And so these doubts must be right. I'm gonna give into this and kind of follow this. And so, and what Paul is saying here, he says, listen, I finished strong. I had many reasons, right, that I could have stopped, but I commend to you, or therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God 
and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. So God is sanctifying you. He is working this out. And someday there's an inheritance that awaits you. And so I'm commending you to God. It's like I finished strong and I'm commending that you're gonna be able to finish strong because of the work that God is doing in you. And lastly, let's see this in verse 33. It says, so I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were here with me. He's like, some of you yourselves helped take care of me. Right? But I didn't covet after any gold, silver, any like worth or value. In all things, I have shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here's the last statement that Paul was able to say at his end of his days is I, have, I gave more than I took. I gave more than I took. Paul, what an incredible example of this. He has poured out his very life since the time that he began to follow after Christ. Everything he had, everything he did was for the work of the Lord, for the benefit of other people, strangers, like he didn't even know, right? He's going to these places, he's ministering to people he's never met before, no relationship with, different contexts and cultures and different languages that he's interacting with and he's just pouring himself out for them. Why? Well, because he's following after the example that was given to, by Christ, he says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Is that not what Jesus did for us? Did Jesus not pour himself out rather than require of us? God gave so abundantly and he's like, who am I that I would hold onto or keep this? And so he is pouring himself out. And we live in a world and we certainly live in a time when it is more and more about me and me, right? We have goals and we have uh, uh, aspirations and things that we want and there's so many things that we can invest in and kind of put our time, energy, money, resources into. And the world is all about, all about, and I think our hearts are right there along with it. Like, how can I get more out of this? Can I just encourage you, those that are young and beginning your careers or, or maybe you're beginning a new family, as your salary goes up, would it not just affect your standard of living, but would it affect your capacity to be able to give? I think sometimes we have these kind of standard of living goals and we're like, ah, oh, if I can just get to that place or if I can get to that many square feet or that many bedrooms or that, much, that type of car or that you know, type of vacations or that sort of thing, we have some sort of standard of living that we're trying to get to. And I'm not saying those are bad things. Like we are getting ready to move into a new house. We needed more space. Our family did not have enough space. Listen, but we were as content as we could possibly be in that house that we had. We waited on the Lord and, and, and through wisdom and counsel, like we, we moved. So I'm like, it's not lost on me that I'm moving into more square footage even this week. But that has never been for my wife and I, the basis of what we were after, kind of going after. We've always asked for, would you just give us enough not so much that we have too much, not so little that we would desire more, but that we would have enough. And God has been so faithful and so good to do that. That was challenged to us specifically when I was 23 years old, when Bree was 22 years old, we were just beginning our marriage together. And we made this commitment that as our uh, salary increased, that so would our capacity to be able to give and our, our, our generosity, would, would God continue to increase that? And he has blessed that so much, I cannot even tell you. Can I just encourage you that you would have that same thing, that it would be about what are some, not just some getting goals, but what are some giving goals, right? I wanna to get to this place. I wanna be able to give this way. I wanna be able to give in this capacity. 
Can I just encourage you, those of you that are at the other end of the spectrum and you're nearing or approaching your retirement and you're maybe in it, those of you that are planning for it, what are your goals in retirement? And I love, I love talking to those of you that are in retirement or approaching retirement and you see it as an opportunity to give and to bless others, not just with money, but with time in ways that you've never been able to before. I love seeing the way that God uses people in their retirement. And man, what an incredible way to live, to live in such a way, set up your life. Retirement's awesome, great. Use it for God's glory. It's not like you just kind of coast the last several years, but you get to use and, 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 and be a blessing to others in a way that maybe you've never been able to before. I've often thought, man, how amazing would it be able to do what I do now if I, Lord gives me the energy to do it for free? Like I would love to do that. If I could support myself and kind of do it myself and be able to give in this way, I would love to do that. Would we have the goal and vision of not burdening others, but to be able to give in a way that allows us to do that? So fitting that Paul was such an example in this. He was able to look back and he could say, I gave more than I took. This is what Paul said. We already read it, but let's read it again. Verse 36, and when he said these things, he knelt down, prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, and being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanying him to the ship. When all is said and done, this is what Paul was able to say about his life. And I think if I could go back to where we began, I think we need to reverse engineer our lives just a little bit. I think we need to be intentional and think about where is it that we want to end up, right? What's the destination that we've punched into the GPS? And then what are the turns and choices and decisions that we need to make between now and then to get there? And let me be amply clear. This is something that Christ did in the life and heart of Paul. Paul was a murderer. Paul was prideful. He was arrogant. He was self-made, established. Like, I mean, he was at the top of everything. And God came into his life and changed all of it. Christ Jesus did this work in the life of Paul. Christ Jesus brought him to this place that he was able to declare these things. And so it would be a mistake for us to walk out of these doors and to say, listen, this is what I need to do and this is what I need to do and this is how I need to live and this is all on me. This is something that Christ wants to do in us. But would this be the things that are said? I mean, imagine again, death is coming for all of us. And as people gather around, those that love you, those that knew you, those that were close to you, would they be able to say these statements about you? Man, he was faithful to everything God called him to. Man, she told the truth without wavering. She pointed people to Jesus and never to herself. And he finished strong. She gave more than she took. What if people were able to say that about us? If they are, if those are the statements that are gonna be said about our life, then those are the decisions that we make today are gonna to be the things that are gonna result in that. And so let's get after it. Let's start doing these things. Let's ask the Lord to bring us to this place and to do this work so that we can, when it's all said and done, get to this place that God would have us be. Before any of you fall asleep or fall out of your chair, let me close our time in God's word. I'm gonna invite our team up as we end our time in worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. 
of instruction for us. God, the way that you have led us perfectly in your word and called us into these things. And God, I thank you for the truth that we see in your word where you say that you have begun a good work in us and you will bring it to completion, God, of the day of your return. And so, Lord, we trust that. We trust that this is your work, God, that you are establishing through us. Help us to be faithful to the things that you have set in front of us, God, that you have called us to. We desire to lift high your name. God, we desire to be used by you. We desire to be able to say, without a doubt, that God, that you were front and center, that you were our all. And so, Lord, help us to do that. We know that we have a ways to go. God, would you continue to do your sanctifying work in our lives? We ask this by the power of your name, uh, the name of Jesus, and we commit to participating with you in that. Lord, we love you. Amen.